Thank you for coming, Emily. Thank you for having me, Seth. And、um, thank you, everyone, for showing up. We did this, it was like a month ago or two months ago at NFT New York? About a month ago, yeah. What has changed since then? Well, I've completed this project. That's good. <laughs> You're more relaxed. Yeah, actually, yes, I am. <laughs> um, the work looks like extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for doing it. It was a great,、uh, enjoyable process. Why don't we start by talking about your process? Kind of what's like a day in the life of your generative creative code like?、Mm. Um, what's a day like?、Um, so I do sort of work on weekdays, Monday through Friday. And I, no matter how I feel, If I set that day as a side,、uh, aside for me to work on generative art, I'm gonna do it. And so sometimes that means that if the, idea,、uh, the ideas I have in mind,、um, if the vision's pretty crystallized in my head, sometimes it means laying down like hundreds of lines of code. And other days it means I kind of sit there in frustration. Maybe I'm exploring, maybe I'm banging my head a little bit. But I think. I think really what I'm trying to get at is that、uh, for me, consistency、uh, and habit is pretty、uh, important for me.、Uh, I think there are some exceptions to this. Like some days,、uh, if I notice myself kind of getting a little burnt out, I'll reserve days in the week ahead to sort of just take a break. Or if I'm like hurtling towards a deadline, maybe I'll work beyond my Monday through Friday. So that's kind of what I do.、Um, I mean, in the morning, I'll do kind of more administrative stuff. Like I'll Sit there and maybe like answer、uh, collector inquiries.、Um, and then, usually, afternoon,、uh, by then, I'm kind of like、uh, programming or kind of working on my art itself. Any like special music you listen to or ways to kind of get yourself into a flow state?、Um, I actually don't listen to music too much when I program. Like, I like to,、uh, kind of silence, it's a little bit more meditative for me.、Um, but in terms of like sort of Habits like rituals that I do.、Um, I always eat like a snack or breakfast or something, and then I drink、uh, a strong cup of green tea. Okay. Yeah.、Um, what was the process like getting ready for this compared to memories? Same? Did you change anything?、Um, for the working progress、um, or like the, my day to day,、um, it actually changed because、uh, while I was working on memories, Um, I had the sort of benefit of just being heads down and only working. I didn't have to deal with、um, kind of inquiries or kind of like social media as much or sort of keeping in.、Uh, you weren't famous. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't as like known in the space. Like I was very much like a pa- like passionate about generative art hobbyist, someone that just loved doing it in their spare time. And then now, as I've been working on this piece,、um, I do find myself kind of having to tend to the other. Aspects of art. And now I'm also full time, right? So, so during memories, you were full time at Twitter, right? Yes, I was working as an engineer、mm-hmm. at、uh, Twitter. And so there was a lot to that. It meant like I was working nights, weekends. I took vacations off just to work on memories.、Um, and so it was a very different dynamic. But the thing is, like the time I did have,、uh, like when I was working on memories,、um, it was all like, you know, Very focused because of kind of the lack of having to attend to the other things that go with being a full time artist. Yeah. And also, I think different 
levels of expectations. Yes, very different levels of expectations, absolutely. Do you want to just take us back, like, what's your genesis story? How did you start in the arts? How did you start coding? Mm. Where did you grow up? Oh, gosh, okay. Um, my, my bio, it sounds like. Um, so I grew up in rural Maine. Mm. Um, I grew up in the sticks, actually. And um, I always identified as like a creative. So as a young kid, I was constantly making art um, and- Collages? I made some collages. Um, I also, I did a lot of drawing. I loved like um, oil pastel. I loved, um, I played a lot of traditional media. Um, and then I also liked to uh, program a little bit as a kid. I made some pretty ugly web pages. Uh, but I was very into sort of the online art community space, you know, like I, um, Elfwood and DeviantArt, if anyone here has heard of that, <laughs> I was definitely part of those communities. Um, but I would say like, um, I let myself sort of explore my passion for art um, in full force as an undergraduate. So uh, in college, I pursued history of art and architecture. Um, and took studio art courses uh, while I was um, studying. And after graduation, um, as much as I wanted to be like a full-time artist, uh, kind of the reality of my situation, um, you know, hit me. Um, I, I am from like a uh, working class immigrant family. So I had to pick a career path that was a little bit more um, practical and software engineering is amazing, right? So. Um, you know, if you're good at it. Yeah. If you're good at it, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did that and eventually uh, did my uh, did a master's in engineering as well because um, I missed school and wanted to pursue other parts of um, engineering or com computer science a little bit more in depth. So machine learning and um, focused a lot of my studies on that. Um, but, you know, along the way, like I discovered generative art. Like I was really looking for a way to kind of bridge my love and passion for art um, with my skill set in programming. And generative art is just such like a, you know, distilled way to do it. Um, so yeah, generative art- What like, was like the light bulb moment? Like who was the generative artist or the, the blog post that you read that- Yeah, um, it was Dan Schiffman's Coding Train. Let's go Dan. Like <laughs> I love Dan Schiffman. I love his series. I um, I stumbled upon it because I, I think I was just searching art and code, like very basic. Um, and I found a series, it immediately resonated. And I just kind of went on a binge mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of like continually uh, watched his videos, kind of taught myself the foundations of generative art through Dan Schiffman. Um, and then eventually I, um, I attended like a programmer's retreat at this place called um, Recurse Center. Mm -hmm. uh, you apply, they'll give you a grant to kind of like study whatever facet of programming you're interested in. And I said, I'm gonna do generative art. Um, and so I did that there and sort of continued like in a very uh, community oriented way in a self-directed kind of like dedicated time, um, like uh, environment uh, in learning generative art. And then when was this like roughly? 2016, and then immediately after, I kind of did a residency at this other institution in New York called Pioneer Works, um, and there I just sort of uh, did some more installation art, continued sort of doing more generative art, um, but of course I'd spent a lot of my time doing generative art kind of as a hobby on the side for out of passion, 
Um, so it's really nice, like right now, you know, the pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together beautifully. Are there any generative artists in particular that inspired you? So Tyler Hobbs, uh, I met back in 2017 at Strange Loop. Mm. Uh, we were the only, I think we were one of like two of maybe, maybe just us mm -hmm. talking about generative art at that conference. We were both mm -hmm. speakers there. Um, and I, I think remember- that's where Ben Kovach met Tyler too for the first time. That was a pregnant moment. Yeah, that was uh, quite, that was quite the conference. Um, I remember just being like amazed at uh, Tyler's practice and how he managed to kind of like sculpt uh, like an entire sort of like, he created, his, you know, there wasn't much demand for generative art at the time, but he really sort of like laid down that foundation of like kind of print oriented, like static, like beautiful generative artwork. So I just remember being so amazed and uh, so inspired. Uh, but also I've been uh, following other generative artists like uh, Thomas Lynn Pedersen, mm -hmm. Matt Deslauriers. I don't know if I said his name correctly, but- Delaurier. Delaurier, okay. So I think it's just like absolutely, like I cannot believe I get to be part of a collection with these folks, so yeah. Like Groucho Marx, he never wanted to be a member of a club that would have him as a member. <laughs> I think it's the opposite, but yeah. They say the same thing about you, so. Okay. <laughs> Off script. Yes. You want to talk about like, because you know, you can think of JavaScript, but you can also think of collages, like how do you come up with a name? Yeah, so uh, for the title of the series, um, I really wanted something that kind of spoke to sort of the playfulness of um, the aesthetic, right? It's mm -hmm. playful, it's vibrant, it's fun. It has like this little bit of like an off kilter feel to it. Um, and I actually want to give a shout out to Andrew Batter, who's sitting right there in the audience, uh, because it was actually Andrew that sort of initially suggested the name uh, during a brainstorm session uh, okay. with me. And I remember like when he said it, I was like, ooh, like that somehow resonates. And it made it to sort of the shortlist of names. What were the other names? I remember like Deconstruct. Deconstruct. Which we shot down. Yeah, yeah. Assembly. Too, lo too loaded philosophically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Assembly, Assemblage, um, Hot Tea was actually uh, one of the candidates. Um, but the thing is like, as I sat down to sort of write uh, sort of the description for the project, sort of to describe what is this all about? What, is, what does the project mean? It became pretty clear to me that off script actually was really like a fitting name because at the end of the day, uh, the project is about kind of like medium and materiality. Like when you look at one of these outputs, um, you know, it sort of looks like you can sort of, you, you can see the pieces of paper. It's like, you can tell what everything feels like. You can put your hands over it, right? But the thing is that, you know, it's actually just JavaScript. It's like code at the end of the day. So this piece is all about sort of challenging its own medium, right? Like digital sort of immateriality um, and sort of, versus like kind of how physical and sensorial this feels, right? Um, and so off script kind of references its own medium in both directions, right? Because with off script, you think of maybe like a script, like, um, you know, uh, maybe like a play script or something written on a pieces of paper, like parchment with ink on it or something. You think of script in that way, but you also think about, um, JavaScript, mm -hmm. uh, which is what it's actually made of, um, or you think of, um, you know, like a programming script, right? So the name was just so fitting in so many ways. Um, it just embodied the piece, I thought. 
So one thing I've noticed, I think going back to Incomplete Control with Tyler and then In Precision, which was Thomas's show last week, which he, when we, when we talked about this here, was like the attempt to use code to create something that looks arbitrary and ephemeral and organic, mm -hmm. right? So in the case of Thomas's work, um, particularly on the prints, mm -hmm. it looks like stained watercolors on paper. Yeah, Right, absolutely. and I can only imagine how sophisticated you need to be as a programmer to make something look so haphazard. Mm. So I know, I mean, this is Matisse from what I understand from art history, this yeah. is not yours. Yes. Um, but from the outputs I've seen, like there's these great, like, and we'll see them tonight, just pencil, it looks like pencil drawings. It looks like, um, again, it looks casual. Like describe like the programming challenge of achieving that kind of effect. Mm, of kind of uh, making something look human made. Yeah, almost um, like making something look accidental almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's that element of kind of randomness that goes into making generative art. So it's all about kind of taking that randomness and kind of like wielding it in a way that kind of produces like a human output. But that also looks good. That also looks good. Yeah. So I think like it's definitely a delicate balance, right? Like when you're playing with randomness, if you allow too much randomness, it kind of looks super, um, I don't know, it's just all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, weirdly enough, to make something look kind of uh, sort of, you know, whimsical and kind of like um, human like this, you actually need to program in a lot of constraints. Mm -hmm. It's a delicate balance. So, you know, constraints around like um, maybe shape sizes, constraints around um, kind of composition. Um, and so in a lot of ways, like these outputs, they're actually kind of uh, defined by like within the algorithm, there's a very narrow set of parameters um, that it kind of traverses, yeah. And oh. sort of exploring that space. But also, it uses a lot of Perlin noise, so. A lot of what? Perlin noise, yeah. For, for those of us that are not amazing generative artists like some people here, what does that mean? Um, so Perlin noise is uh, definitely a technique in generative art. It's a function that kind of produces natural looking randomness. So pretty much everything has um, Perlin noise applied to it here. What are like the, the stains? The stains. Oh yeah. So the stains are also generated by Perlin noise. Like if you imagine kind of like um, a 3D Perlin noise field that kind of looks like a landscape, if you take a slice of that, mm -hmm. that will produce those kind of splotchy looking things. So if you take a slice of that, that's like a 2D slice, you plop it on top. And I'll get that on the first video of the coding sound, the coding train with Dan Shipman. I'm gonna learn Perlin noise day one. You will learn Perlin noise, but I don't know if you'll learn to apply it like that. You'll learn to make a flow field actually. Okay. Yeah, um, I feel like that's a really good video. Um, okay. And also a really great way to start understanding um, Perlin noise. Do you want to talk about some of the palettes? The palettes are kind of, they're colorful, they're playful. Uh, some of them were inspired by kind of, uh, I mean, this whole series is kind of inspired by 20th, early 20th century modern artists. It made sense to me to yep. have the inspiration because this piece is about medium and material and early 20th century artists really loved kind of exploring that sort of mm -hmm. realm and pushing boundaries around, um, around that sort of discussion. 
Um, so anyway, you'll see palettes that are kind of inspired by uh, Matisse, for mm -hmm. example. You'll see Picasso-inspired palettes. Um, there's a little bit of like Russian constructivism in there. Like there's a little bit of um, uh, vestigial sort of influences. Mm -hmm. Like there's just uh, I I definitely looked at a broad range of uh, modern art for inspiration. Western, right? Because memories feels more Eastern influenced, yeah. Yeah. and the outputs that we've seen so far from off script mm -hmm. um, feels more inspired by Picasso and Matisse and sort yeah. of Western art. Like, yeah. is that intentional? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's partly because, like, when I started creating this series, I kind of thought to myself, like, my intent is definitely to create a series where it looks very much like same artist as Memories of Chilin, but different collection. And so I was definitely thinking, like, well, mm -hmm. how can I do that? Like, I sort of took a step back and thought about, like, in Memories of Chilin, what did I care about a lot? I cared a lot about, like, texture. I cared a lot about, like, shape and composition. So I really wanted to dial in to those components of the artwork and kind of like ramp them up and sort of explore them in ways that are kind of maybe uh, thematically less bound, right? And in some ways, like doing it through kind of the um, uh, aesthetic of modern art made a lot of sense because that is what, you know, they were all about. Like a lot of early 20th century modern artists, they were interested in exploring these components texture, shape, form, composition. And for a lot of them, it was about kind of distilling all of those expressions uh, in sort of abstract ways and sort of exploring things kind of at its, you know, in its pure form. So grounding my artwork in that kind of aesthetic, um, in this sort of exploration of medium and material, it made a lot of sense. With memories, there was a thousand outputs. Yeah. With this, there's only a hundred. Do you want to talk about how you approach those edition sizes differently? Yeah, um, so I would say that with Memories of Chilin, um, you know, like, because it had a thousand outputs, or a thousand twenty-four outputs, um, it gave me f more range to sort of take risks. So the same algorithm that produces this thing, uh, sometimes it produces this thing, it also produces, like, you know, a lion. Like, I wanted kind of, um, it took a lot of risks. Like sometimes it did produce things that were a little less like of the uh, sort of theme that I was going for and that's okay. Um, and so I think with uh, this series, with 100 items, um, it meant that I took a few, like fewer risks. I definitely bounded my artwork a lot more neatly. Um, and also in terms of rarity, I wasn't thinking so much about that. Mm -hmm. Like Memories of Chile and I had like rare palettes. Yeah. Um, here I have no such thing as rare palettes. Like some t palettes are more um, frequent than others, but there's only like one rare trait and... The stars. The stars. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, uh, it's definitely more about, this series was more about kind of like consistently good outputs. Like I'm actually pleased with how, um, you know, everything uh, I, I think everything looks pretty good from what I've seen. Like, Do you think there's less a chance that you'll be surprised by an output tonight? A little bit in some ways. Um, because of kind of the less, less fewer edition, like smaller edition sizes means um, fewer, uh, you know, less room to kind of let your algorithm just do whatever. Um, however, um, it does surprise me sometimes. Like the other day, I, pr like I, 
you know, rendered an output and it gave me a Picasso face. Mm, um, I saw that. Yeah. And uh, that to me was really surprising. Um, we might get a lion. Maybe we'll get a lion today. Yeah, that'd be really fun. Rooster um, or whatever. Or rooster. Actually, there are some bird-like elements sometimes. You know, the circles kind of produce eyes. Um, so, yeah. With, the, with Matt's folio project, it had, you know, the random letters, and I kept hoping that a word would form. But yeah. We got a couple yeah. GMs, but that doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> that totally counts. GM. Okay, I guess yeah. it's not a word, but it's a meme. Um, yeah. We've had the benefit of, of, of having you experience a couple different shows at Bright Moments that you were there for Incomplete Control. Yeah, that was um, amazing. We had some, a meetup. Um, talk to me about this process of creating something that would be exhibited IRL here in London, right? I think when we talked, I remember it was... When did we talk? February, March? Somewhere around Somewhere there. around there. Yeah. And I think you just uh, dropped memories. Mm. And I said, hey, you know, we're going to do something in London. Would love to work with you. Mm -hmm. um, given the fact that this was, I think, designed from the get-go to be experienced physically, mm. did that change the way you approach the algorithm at all? Or, way, or just describe like, what it's been like to create something physically. I remember when we were in that discussion, that initial discussion, you said that the theme would of this London collection would be craft mm -hmm. um, and uh, sort of like handmade stuff. So uh, I definitely sometimes like I, I have like too many things that I want to explore. So for this series, I really let the exhibition theme drive the entire concept in a way. Right. So when I think of craft, the first thing I do think about is like collage and cutouts yeah and cutouts right and also it's also very handmade you mm -hmm. know collage is a pretty interesting medium because you're actually like actively working on it your hands are connected to the final art piece like you're cutting things out you're pasting things on the canvas it's different than say like painting where you have like an implement mm -hmm. between you and the final piece right um so i would say that like i let that uh sort of drive the Thank exhibition you. um great theme um, but also in terms of like thinking about the exhibition design, I kind of let that uh, sort of come out like after the fact, right? Like or a little closer to when, you know, the concept had come to fruition. Um, and so for this, uh, you know, exhibition, we, you know, we wanted the theme of the series kind of medium and material to kind of be front and center. Um, so the exhibition was designed uh, around that. Yeah. Um I'll open up to questions soon, but stepping back a little bit, just talking about you know you're active you're active in the art blocks community, and the generative art community. Where do you see the space heading? Um, what are some of the other artists that you're most excited about and projects that you're following? Mm. Like I definitely think generative art is having a real moment, you know, like, uh, and I think it's a moment that's going to last. Um, you know, I think generative art has been kind of historically like at the margins of the art world. There wasn't really a demand for it. It definitely was, it's, it's an art form that's been there for a long time, but it just hadn't been sort of like in the art history narrative. And I think right now what's happening with generative art is that it's kind of being adopted into the canon, right? So it's gonna be sort of in the history books. It's going to be within institutions. Um, and I think we're already starting to see that happen. Um, so that's pretty exciting for me. Like I do feel. What do you like, attribute it to? 
Well, Artblocks also has played like a huge role in it. You know, like they've really stewarded the genre in a way that like it hadn't been able to be driven before. They've really taken sort of that like- By bringing it on chain. By bringing it on chain and sort of taking that sort of demand for kind of like um, that, like what's interesting about generative art is that it's kind of like inherently, it kind of like discusses um, sort of art in the context of technology, right? And right now that's just very relevant, like technology is shaping art form. And so anyway, like Artblocks has really kind of driven that movement and it's going to continue to do that, I think. Um, but in terms of uh, sort of uh, artists I'm excited about, like I, I am really excited about um, other sort of like women artists and uh, uh, sort of minority artists. Um, uh, because I think like, you know, it, it, having their sort of unique sort of experiences kind of color the field with different, you know, with, with their art, I think that's really important. Um, I love supporting uh, other artists. Um, do you uh, teach? I do teach, I do teach. Um, but I, I was gonna say that uh, recent works that I've collected uh, include Elida Sun's uh, Glitch Crystal Monsters. Um, and I was gonna say I'm really uh, excited. I, I really loved these last um, couple of drops uh, on our blocks, like uh, Running Moon by uh, Li Shahi was like really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, this recent drop from yesterday, Fahad, yeah. yeah, was uh, really stunning. Like I loved the way that it was both like kind of playful, but also unsettling, like that sort of- I got of... an eyeball pyramid. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, excited about the space in general, um, but I didn't mean to deflect on your last question. Um, I do I do teach, I did teach more when I was more, like not practicing as much when like I would go to sort of conferences and teach. I appeared on like the coding train at some point and like taught a tutorial there. Um, but uh, I haven't been teaching as much lately because I've just been focused on practicing. What is the most important thing to learn, do you think, for an emerging generative artist? All the foundational techniques, Pearl and Noise, Pearl for noise. one. I'm, I'm working um, on that tonight. <laughs> Um, I think like uh, learning kind of, you know, just learning an array of the techniques so that you can sort of combine them um, in sort of your own ways. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to ask maybe some questions. We have an amazing audience here, so I'm yeah. do not want to take up too much time because we've got Elida, Jeff, come on. Did you do any physical studies in preparation for this project or look at physical materials and try to emulate them with code or is this, did you just shape it you know, through digital means? That's a great question. I shaped it uh, mostly digitally. Uh, there were times where I kind of looked at um, different papers um, and sort of like I'd sometimes just, you know, at home, like I'd maybe flip open a book like a nice book and stare at kind of like the papers there. Um, but for the most part, um, I conducted this pretty digitally. Yeah, that's a great question. As you're working and like moving through the, the like purely creative and visual process, how much of it happened just in code and how much of it happened like on the computer, but like in say Photoshop and like, like are there other tool, other, are there other like digital tools you use to like quickly iterate? Yes. So. I, uh, I definitely like to sort of uh, lay down the concept and see it as much, um, sort of like mock it up as much as possible before programming. Because programming is intensive, right? Like 
it would be a shame to sort of like have an idea, program it out, and then it actually doesn't look good. So a lot of the times for this uh, speci uh, project specifically, actually, uh, and actually Memories of Chilin, I would like have an initial output, like maybe I've designed an underlying system, and then like there's regions that I could sort of like rope in textures for. I would take a screenshot, put it into Photoshop, delete out like a region, and replace it with mm. like a texture or a color that or makes like. Sense, yeah. And that's a that's a really easy way for me to prototype things and see like what does it actually look like if I brought in like a blue or if I brought in like a you know kind of a ropey texture here like what would the how would that affect the whole piece. And having that visual there is actually just so important. Um, but that's also like, a, it's a great way to kind of work. Because um, yeah, programming will take you a long time otherwise, or can take a long time. Do you think in terms of the building or the rendering or animations, or do you think of it as a flat, fixed image? Uh, for this series, I tend to think of it as like a flat, fixed image. Um, I mean, there is like, I can animate it out, but I actually don't like that mm -hmm. um, because I think like it, um, I kind of like everything to hit you all at once. Like, oof, I, I see like so much paper. And I think like animating it in for this series kind of like takes away from that. So, but I certainly um, am open to kind of like experimenting with um, art, generative art that is a little bit more movement or animated based. Somewhere down the line, I think it'd be fun to do that. And it's incredible that you worked like pretty much you know, natively digital for such an organic collection. And I'm just curious, like, to what extent did the code kind of guide the, you know, the shapes, the forms, and were there any, like, happy accidents that you just ran with that helped mm. determine the, the final outcome? Yeah, happy accidents, let me think. I like the bunny ears. <laughs> Um, actually, a lot of the series is like pretty intentional. Actually, like I'm not sure. Um, the circles. You want to talk about the circles? Yeah, do you want to talk about the circles? Um, yeah, there's circle. I mean, there's like a layer. So there's two different um, components to the piece, right? There, the first kind of component that happens is that like the algorithm will sort of like create all these different shapes. Um, and from these shapes kind of overlapping and sort of intersecting with each other, uh, the, there's a masking algorithm that actually extracts new shapes from all of that and then kind of jostles them on the canvas in a way that sort of you know, seems kind of playful and fun. Um, and that's like one layer. And then during, you know, on the fly, the textures kind of get created and roped in. And then the second layer to it that kind of happens is there's then a circle packing algorithm <laughs> that kind of like throws darts at the sort of uh, uh, sort of the underlying structure, and then checks to see like is this close to any other like circles, um, and let's look at the underlying structure if there's anything that's like if there's too much going on for example like well, this one's actually fine um, but like there's sometimes there's regions that are far too busy it won't fit a circle there. So then these circles um, are then kind of like turned into kind of these shape motifs. Um, one of the shape motifs is an actual circle, like double circle. And another motif would be like, you know, strips, stars, mm -hmm. squares. I'm hoping for stars tonight. <laughs> All right. I hope the uni universe grants you some stars. If not, it's okay. I'm not attached. <laughs> I'm just saying um, open to stars. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's kind of about the, it's like a modified circle packing algorithm um, for some of the shapes. Yeah. 
when you think about an IRL mint. Yeah. What do you want it to be? What do you want people to experience when they receive this, when they receive their mint for the first time? Just joy. Joy? Like the, the piece is very like fun and playful. Like I want people to have felt that sense of whimsy that mm -hmm. comes with like, you know, minting. It's like whatever the universe gives you is what you get. Um, and sort of accepting that. Um, and then also the sense of uh, that playfulness, right? Like I want people to feel that. And I want people to also feel the sort of, you know, once again, this piece is about the senses and medium and materiality and sort of challenging that and engaging with it. And I want people to sort of, uh, during the minting process, uh, they're gonna get a sense of that too. Um, they're gonna explore that th themselves. Craft work. Craft work, working with your hands, yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank, thank everyone here.